Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. After you work really hard for a single day of epic training or a good week of heavy training or a month where everything was really going strong and you put in a lot of, uh, a lot of effort, yeah, maybe you're looking at one or two weeks of toning everything down and allowing the recovery processes to take hold. Most effective restrictive diet would be to eliminate all plant foods for a period of time, perhaps 30 days, and detect whether you have some sensitivities to plant toxins, plant antigens that are causing an inflammatory or an autoimmune response. I would concur from my own personal experience that walking your talk is the number one objective and the number one way to positively influence the lives of your loved ones, especially kids. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Hey, hey, time for another Q&A. It's party time on the B-Rad Podcast. Yep, it's more from Usain Bolt's compilation called Clockwork. Love Usain Bolt, man. One of the greatest athletes of all time. I'm going to say Usain Bolt and Tiger Woods. 
And you can uh, feel free to email us podcast at bradventures.com with questions, comments, including your two favorite athletes of all time, or you think the two greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. Why are you saying bold? Because the Olympic 100 meters is the single most competitive and accessible athletic event on the planet, right? Every child in the history of the world has probably run a foot race at some point uh, to identify their abilities and push them into further competitions. It doesn't take any logistics or uh, facilities even, uh, you know, at the most rudimentary level. And the great sprinters uh, come from all over the planet. Interestingly, uh, most all of them trace their ancestry to West Africa. And there's some great books about this. One of them is called Taboo, was written uh, many years ago by John Entine, another one called The Sports Gene by David Epstein, where they tackle these interesting questions, the interplay of genetics and environment and uh, training and exposure to different training methods. But uh, the genetic piece is really interesting. And boy, everybody looked at Usain Bolt and thought, oh, he's so tall. That's why he beats everybody. And it's such a great advantage. And he's such a natural uh, sprinter. Uh, But what they don't realize is the amazing level of hard work that it takes to be on top in such a competitive event and such an explosive event and how he dominated for such a long period of time like no one else peaking for the great championships over and over and there's all kinds of facets that are interesting uh, there's a great documentary i think you can watch on netflix called bolt and it goes into uh, his training his environment his upbringing and of particular note is how Uh, He was characterized throughout his career and even on the show as a guy who was lazy and he liked to party and he liked to stay out late and he, you know, he'd he'd, uh, have to be coaxed into doing, uh, you know, the complete workout and training and he'd complain and all this thing. Uh, But if he's, you know, the greatest sprinter of all time and one of the greatest athletes who's ever lived, maybe he was onto something and maybe our traditional approach to athletic training is uh, poorly calibrated such that most elite athletes not to mention most recreational athletes, but many, if not most elite athletes, have a tendency to overdo it also and thereby leave a lot of their performance potential in the dust. Fortunately, there's some great momentum uh, recently with the uh, the forward-thinking uh, leaders in fitness uh, advocating what I call a kinder, gentler approach, uh, especially to high-intensity training. Uh, You can look up a YouTube clip, Firas Zahabi. Uh, He was on Joe Rogan. He talked for eight minutes on this concept, and they did a nice YouTube video compilation entertaining with his main points. Uh, Dr. Craig Marker, one of my favorite uh, torch carriers on this topic, has a transformative article called Hit versus HIRT, H-I-I-T, that's high-intensity interval training, versus HIRT, high-intensity repeat training. And that was published on breakingmuscle.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. And he talks about the cellular destruction that occurs when we try to push ourselves too hard in these high-intensity workouts that seem to be the bread and butter, the centerpiece of traditional fitness programming. So most things that you see, the Peloton workout with the Pepe instructor right there live from New York City, or the 
neighborhood spinning class or the neighborhood boot clamp or the uh, less than evolved personal trainer who's pushing you to do one more set when your form's already deteriorating and you've already accumulated uh, fatigue and uh, cellular breakdown such that you can't deliver explosive performance anymore. All these things are in the mix and causing a lack of results, lack of progress, and a lot of breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. And so back to the Usain Bolt example, here was a guy that peaked over and over for the great championships, but was quote unquote lazy and liked to stay out late and go to the clubs and uh, listen to the music. And now look at him, now he's making music. So I guess he was uh, smarter than all of us. But it is a good takeaway lesson that this guy uh, possibly erred on the side of uh, being relaxed about his uh, devotion to training and then stepping it up when he needed to, of course. So a great... um, you know, blending of all the necessary attributes to be the greatest champion athlete. Extremely hard work. Of course, the genetic talent, but we don't want to overlook all the other pieces. And then a, a proper approach to training with that nice laid back uh, Jamaican influence rather than the go, go, go uh, type A, uh, extremely goal oriented, obsessive compulsive approach to training that we see so frequently, especially in the endurance sports, especially in the CrossFit community or anything where there's a really fervent participation base. So for everybody, let's tone things down. I talked about uh, Firas and the video. I talked about Dr. Craig Marker. Joel Jameson is another sensational leader uh, in this area. Uh, he has a website called eight, the number eight weeks out.com. That's eight weeks out from a title fight because he's uh, working with a lot of MMA champions. And we had a great show. It's now a couple years old, but of course, with the wonderful podcast app, you can just search for Joel Jameson on the BRAD podcast, uh, J A M I E S O N, and listen to that show where he believes that recovery should be the centerpiece of one's training program. So recovery is the major emphasis. And then when are we going to work hard? When are we going to do more intervals? When are we going to really push ourselves? Of course, those things are in there, but recovery is always the major focus. And he has this thing called rebound workouts, which are specially designed workouts that uh, will rejuvenate you and help you recover faster than just sitting on the couch and resting. And that was an amazing insight for me to embrace uh, when I got to know him and his work. Uh, because when I was a triathlete, let me tell you, we thought the gold standard for recovery was to you know do your thing do your 150 mile bike ride and then the next day oh yeah we're gonna wake up eat a bunch of food rent a bunch of videos and sit on the couch and you know what that's not a bad strategy it's better than trying to squeeze in extra training especially after the really hard stuff where your stress hormones are still elevated in your bloodstream and you might feel okay the next day and feel like hey maybe i should go out and uh bike an easy 20 miles and you know that's a mistake because uh, fatigue can accumulate uh, slower than real time in other words you don't know how tired you are due to the uh, the in- intoxicating influence of uh, the endorphin-like hormones that are flowing in the bloodstream uh, and the uh, endocannabinoids. Uh, new research is also showing that it's not so much the endorphins that we always talk about, but these endocannabinoids, the internally manufactured cannabinoids. Yes, that's the same as you get from uh, uh, the drug uh, from external sources, right? You can get this kind of calming, pain-killing effect uh, when you ask yourself for maximum output. And so you're feeling chill. Your legs aren't feeling so sore or stiff yet, but they will in 72 hours. But at the 12-hour mark, you're kind of, uh, you know, dosed 
based on these natural chemicals, this natural chemical high that you get from pushing your body hard. And you have to reason with that and problem solve and process through, uh, you know, personal experience so that you can make good decisions in the future. And after you work really hard for a, a single day of epic training or a, a good week of heavy training or a, a month where everything was really going strong and you put in a lot of, uh, a lot of effort. Yeah. Maybe you're looking at one or two weeks of toning everything down and allowing the recovery processes to take hold. So, uh, Joel Jameson gets a plug there. And of course the, the grandfather, the, the founding father of, uh, balancing health with fitness goals is Dr. Phil Maffetone. We've had a couple great shows over the years you can go listen to, but he's a huge advocate in just toning everything down, uh, advocating for that maximum aerobic heart rate where you limit almost all of your steady state cardiovascular exercise to a pace that uh, in many cases is extremely and frustratingly uh, comfortable or slow. And so by and large, for the most part, uh, when we're talking about steady state cardio, most everyone is pushing themselves too hard with workouts that are slightly too significantly too difficult. The heart rate is elevating beyond the maximum fat oxidation per minute. That's what maximum aerobic function, the MAF heart rate is, 180 minus age. That's the point where you burn the maximum number of fat calories per minute with a minimal amount of anaerobic stimulation, glucose burning, stress hormone production, lactic acid accumulation. Okay, so everyone pause and subtract 180 from your age. What's that number? Oh boy, that's pretty low, isn't it? Uh, but that is... Uh, highly regarded as an excellent uh, measuring stick cutoff point in beats per minute. Again, so if 180 minus 55 is 125, in my case, that's going to be the uh, the cutoff point when I need to slow down, listen to that alarm beeping, and slow down my pace such that I execute a predominantly aerobic fat-burning workout I feel refreshed and energized afterward rather than toasted. And when you can kind of lock into this pattern, then you can build and build and build your fitness without the interruption that occurs when you do workouts that are even slightly too stressful. Even a pattern of workouts where you're a little bit exceeding the maximum aerobic heart rate, not too bad. You're still going pretty easy. It's still comfortable. Uh, you're not wasted at the end like when you're doing a, an extreme, you know, high intensity interval training session or whatnot. But as you accumulate that over time, you can run yourself, you run yourself into real trouble. And I have an article on my uh, bradkearns.com blog section where I talk about uh, a period of excessive steady state aerobic training. It coincided with getting back into the wonderful sport of speed golf. So I was going out to the course and my heart rate was uh, higher uh, by uh, 10 or 12 or 15 beats over my maximum aerobic heart rate uh, pretty much every time out there because it's pretty tough to regulate heart rate when you're playing speed golf, as it turns out. In fact, interestingly, uh, I would notice my heart rate rise after stopping, grabbing the club and hitting a shot and then resuming the run. So I'm running down the course for 300 meters of nonstop running, right? I'm running at a nice, uh, comfortable pace uh, below my maximum aerobic heart rate, and then stopping and hitting a shot due to the intensity of that experience. Even though I'm not moving, I'm not running anymore, uh, the heart would start beeping, and I'd have to slow down accordingly. And um, 
Anyway, after months of speed golf binging, guess what happened? That's right. I burned up an organ, was rushed into emergency surgery to get my appendix out of my body, and it was a huge ordeal. Uh, I waited too long to go to the hospital. That's another aside. If you're in severe pain, uh, don't do it at home. Do it in front of uh, medical experts. But anyway, um, I'm going to blame, you know, this is random, mostly the medical uh, the medical commentary is that appendixes just go for whatever reason. Sometimes you're 18 years old, sometimes you're 51, whatever. Uh, But I'm going to blame this period of high stress, overly stressful training, uh, such that um, you know, there goes my uh, my reserves, my immune function, whatever was needed. And actually the incident, the uh, the ruptured appendix occurred on the heels of two really difficult sprint workouts uh, in a in a span of five days. Uh, each of them in temperatures over 100 degrees. So here I am, I think a day after doing uh, some badass high jumping in 106 degree Fahrenheit, and there goes the... um, there goes the medical incident. And of course, they're related. No one can tell me otherwise. I believe that strongly. And so taking care of yourself, not doing stupid, crazy workouts. uh, And as um, an important uh, big picture insight here, hey, when I was out there, Uh, on the track when it was 106, I felt okay because I'm pumped up. I'm excited. My body's warm. I'm loose, right? 106, you don't really need to warm up too much. Your muscles are working fine um, for a while until you get hot. Uh, But, you know, I wasn't out there forever. So let's say I'm out there for 30 minutes of good hard exercise. Yeah, you're a little hot and bothered. You go into the, um, uh, the store and grab some water and get in some air conditioning and feel better. But it's an extremely highly stressful event. And when you string those together, I was possibly uh, dehydrated from the previous workout when I started the second workout in the 100 degree plus temperatures, and then further dehydrated myself. And in fact, when I presented in the hospital with the ruptured appendix, I was also severely dehydrated and there was numerous IV bags going into me uh, one after the other. So there you go. Important anecdote uh, in favor of minimizing the stress impact of your workouts. If you're a steady state cardio kind of person, we want to keep that math heart rate with great discipline. That means you have to you have to strap up or get yourself the proper device. I guess the smart watches are uh, measuring it's actually what they're measuring is pulse rate, not heart rate. If you don't have a strap on your chest, which is the most accurate, but if you can get into the rhythm of uh, noticing and having something to regulate your effort and keep it at uh, math or below, that's great. And when it comes to high intensity training, we don't want to go out there and do those workouts unless you're feeling 100% rested, energized, uh, feeling great all the way through. And that includes the midway checkpoint. When I talk about uh, the template sprint workout, I just wrote something on my Instagram post so you can go look at, you know, do this, do this, do this. And you're doing the wind sprints before you do the main set of sprints. And if those don't feel fantastic, that's end, baby. Push the, (laughs) pull the plug and leave the track and come back another day when you're feeling great. And I think that's a really important skill to develop. It takes a long time. That's why I wanted to tell you about Usain Bolt and probably some of those days where he was out late clubbing and, uh, you know, took it easy in the winter time instead of maintaining his training patterns that was, you know, that that are unsustainable year round when you're performing at that level, all these things might be okay just to give yourself a little bit of a break and overall a, a kinder, gentler approach to high intensity training. Um, that kind of picks up 
where I left off in the previous uh, Q&A show when I was talking about that uh, Rob Wolf contention that if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein and the tremendous importance of uh, challenging your body with brief high-intensity efforts, putting your body under load, maintaining that muscle mass throughout life. And speaking of that, another vote against overdoing it uh, is this excellent book by the noted Harvard researcher, Dr. Daniel Lieberman. Uh, the book is called Exercised, and he cites important research that we don't hear about a lot, that the hunter-gatherer, our lauded ancestors, especially in the ancestral health scene, they weren't super fit, okay? They weren't going to make it to the CrossFit Games. They did the bare minimum of exercise and physical work that they needed to survive, right? They had to go get food. They had to chase down the antelope, like you see on the great YouTube documentary, The Great Dance. So go look up that and see this amazing physical effort that the Icon Bushman did uh, to bring down the antelope. But guess what? They didn't go bring down an antelope uh, 17 days in a row after that. They rested and ate the thing and kicked back because they had had the bounce. And so to uh, understand that is interesting when we put it in today's context, when we have the freedom, the ability to go pursue extremely advanced fitness goals, uh, but it could possibly come at the expense of our overall health and longevity. Okay, so if you are uh, enjoying that lifestyle where you're pursuing extreme athletic goals and wanting to build your muscle mass and look good and be part of the uh, wonderful CrossFit community or the endurance community, uh, take note of this idea that humans are not naturally designed to be extreme fitness freaks. We just want to be healthy and uh, survive and live a long, healthy life. So on the other side, we don't want to sit on our ass all day and lose our muscle mass and succumb to the number one the number one cause of hospitalizations and death in Americans over age 65 is falling. That's right. It's the number one mortality factor. And that comes from obviously lack of activity, lack of muscle mass. So we don't want to be on the sedentary side of the equation, but we want to be careful. Uh, many listeners might relate here. We want to be careful that we don't want to tip over all the way on the other side of going too extreme into our fitness goals. We want to be like Usain Bolt, man. Okay. Here comes a great question from Casey. Hey, Brad, I just listened to the carnivore scores chart episode. I'm super interested in trying out this way of eating. However, you have nuts and chocolate on there. I'm wondering if you're concerned about the oxalates. And the same question goes for sweet potatoes. So good question. Opening up the dialogue. Why a carnivorous dietary pattern in the first place? Well, for many people who are suffering from autoimmune or inflammatory conditions, it's a fantastic way to experiment with a restrictive diet. Probably the easiest, most sustainable, and most effective restrictive diet would be to eliminate all plant foods for a period of time, perhaps 30 days, and detect whether you have some sensitivities to plant toxins, plant antigens that are causing an inflammatory or an autoimmune response, a mild one, a severe one, what have you. And and as plants go, they are, they're a hierarchy of the most reactive plants to the ones that are least offensive uh, to the point where, you know, almost, almost no one's going to be allergic to iceberg lettuce because it doesn't have much of anything in there. So there was a great article on the medium.com written by Keenan Erickson referencing a lot of the work of Paul Saladino and giving a nice overview of some of the uh, categories of plant toxins and the foods that uh, might be ranked from most restrictive to most offensive 
to least offensive. Um, Casey, the uh, the listener, mentioned oxalates, and these are high in the leafy greens category. So talk about kale, spinach, broccoli as superpowers, but they also have high levels of uh, this offensive agent, which has no known benefits to the human, but can cause reactivity. So uh, the stuff that's been the superstars for a long time, now, in many cases, certain people might want to try eliminating the kale smoothies and the spinach salads, uh, turmeric, the superstar uh, anti-inflammatory, has 2,000 milligrams of oxalates per serving. Uh, in comparison, let's say 100 grams of spinach has 750 milligrams, spinach being one of the high oxalate foods. So if you're uh, shaking turmeric on your on your foods or having a smoothie, uh, with something, you know, those, those super agents in there, uh, might be something that you have no idea is irritating your gut, causing inflammatory or autoimmune responses throughout the body. There's another big category, uh, reference in the article called polyphenols. And these are the high antioxidant agents, uh, that are present in many, if not most plant foods. You've heard of some of them like resveratrol, quercetin, flavonoids, tannins, lignin, curcumin, uh, capsaicin, and many more. And these are um, believed to be antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, but it's really important to understand. I think you can go back to my shows with Paul Saladino where he explains this. Uh, But when you consume these foods, uh, they aren't antioxidant uh, inherently. What happens is they prompt an antioxidant response by the body. So the master internal antioxidant known as glutathione uh, is triggered, the production is triggered when you consume these foods that prompt uh, an inflammatory response because they're poisons, they're toxins. They are called natural plant toxins, plant antigens, and they're widely regarded as healthy uh, inherently. But I think it's really important to understand that distinction that they prompt a healthy response in the body. So they're not, uh, uh, you know, we're not saying this is a bad thing to eat, a handful of blueberries with the high levels of antioxidants in there, but that they prompt an antioxidant response in the body. They also come with doctor, what Dr. Saladino calls a package insert. So these plant toxins can also uh, prompt adverse reactions in the body. Uh, the kale, ginger, beet, celery smoothie. And boy, I was uh, drinking these uh, these green smoothies prompted by Dr. Rhonda Patrick in her viral YouTube video, stuffing in celery and kale and beets and carrots and drinking that thing down and reliably would have uh, a immediate uh, inflammation of the digestive system. The stomach pops out and I experience gas bloating uh, for hours after drinking the smoothie. Uh, and so that was, uh, to me, a direct association with this huge dose of oxalates and other uh, polyphenols and um, all the things that cause inflammation and uh, autoimmune response. And boy, that won out over uh, whatever benefits I was getting because I'm going to contend that something that causes gas bloating and transient abdominal pain after consuming uh, is not going to be worth consuming due to the purported benefits. What's really interesting about this package insert concept and the fact that these are hormetic stressors to the body, right? They prompt what's supposed to be an overall beneficial response. So if you consume a food that prompts an antioxidant response by the body, hey, you're going to get thumbs up from all nutrition dietary experts. uh, But 
what's uh, interesting to consider is that you can uh, obtain or achieve hormesis in many different ways. And uh, Dr. Saladino talks about the categorizing of environmental hormesis versus uh, dietary or plant hormesis. And so if you uh, expose your body to a cold, if you expose your body to hot sauna, if you perform a sprint workout, if you do a high-intensity strength training session, you are stressing the body. You're providing an optimally brief hormetic stressor that delivers a net positive response, just like the kale, ginger, beet, celery is supposed to do. So when you look at all plant foods across the spectrum, you are looking at a a potential or a hypothetical trade-off between your personal level of reactivity and the nutrient density and the positive benefits that you get from the plant. Uh, so we have to uh, consider this, learn a little bit about the spectrum of the most toxic, most potentially problematic plant foods versus the least toxic, which are very unlikely to cause an adverse re reaction uh, in, in, in most people. So in the most toxic category, we have seeds, roots, stems, and leaves. And when you look at the category of roots, stems, and leaves, uh, in that category are nuts, beans, grains, onions, potatoes, and, uh, and so forth. So the seeds, obviously, uh, having a tremendous amount of nutritional properties. You've read all about the antioxidant benefits of the seeds and uh, the high values of this or that positive attribute, positive agent to consume, but they also uh, can be highly intolerable. And of course, there's many examples of people that are extremely allergic to nuts and seeds. Um, so, you know, look no further for proof that this stuff is legit, this potential reactivity to uh, purportedly uh, beneficial plants foods. And I want to keep dancing back to the original question from Casey. And he's asking me about uh, putting nuts, chocolate, and sweet potatoes on our chart. So uh, I should start with the uh, the central insight that the carnivore scores chart is obviously uh, trying to uh, start with the premise of a carnivore-ish eating pattern and looking at the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet that don't have concerns about reactivity. So on the top level, we have organ meats, we have oysters, we have salmon eggs and we have all the the great superfoods of the planet the other organs besides liver uh, oily cold water fish pasture raised eggs grass-fed beef uh, and then we're going down 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 and then uh, at the bottom we have a nice little chart uh, talking about an assortment of plant foods that may offer the most nutritional benefits with the least concerns about reactivity things like honey things like fruit um, starchy tubers are generally regarded as low toxicity uh, the starchy root vegetables um, and the high sugar things like fruit uh, fruit being the final offering of the plant right so if you think thinking of uh, a blueberry patch or picking blackberries by the side of the road in the summer, uh, you're not eating the root, stem, or leaves of those plants. You're eating the fruit, and the plant doesn't care if you pick that fruit off. It's going to live to see another season uh, because you're not consuming the root, stem, or leaves. 
in contrast, when you uh, pull the kale out of the ground, uh, this is something that the kale plant doesn't want to happen. Uh, and as many colorful uh, descriptions have uh, have referenced, uh, the kale plant can't run away from you, so it has to manufacture these natural toxins as a defense mechanism against potential predators of the plant. And that's why the highly reactive categories are seeds, roots, stems, and leaves. You're basically raiding the organism and consuming it, unlike a fruit, uh, unlike uh, honey. Honey could even be argued as a carnivore uh, food because it's produced by the bee, right? So uh, also I mentioned iceberg lettuce. So, and finally, in the very low toxicity category would be the non-sweet fruits, things like squash, avocados, coconut. Uh, So if you're pondering this carnivore-ish experiment, uh, probably the first 30 days out of the gate, you're going to want to restrict all plant foods and see what happens and then do this uh, methodical adding back, just like Dr. Phil Maffetone has been talking about for 30 years, his two-week test. You can probably Google that and see the basics, but he talks about cutting out uh, all these offensive processed carbohydrate foods. And then with this carnivore experiment for 30 days, you're going to stick with the eggs, (laughs) the, the beef, the fish, uh, extremely satisfying nutrient dense foods where you're not struggling or counting the days on the clock to where you can feel like a human again. No, you're eating these fabulous nutrient dense meals. You're getting a lot of, uh, uh, benefits and you're giving your system a break from the toxic plant foods that could be irritating your gut lining, promoting leaking gut syndrome and causing all kinds of reactivity, especially gas bloating, transient abdominal pain in conjunction with meals. That's not a good thing. It's no bueno, but we accept it as kind of normal because it's so commonplace. Uh, so that will be fun to uh, to embark on that path. You can look at meat heals.com and read these amazing success stories that have been nicely categorized in various different under various different ailments right and listen to the leaders like dr sean baker dr paul saladino michaela peterson has her own podcast now uh people that have turned their transformed their health through the carnivorous strategy due to their high sensitivity to plants and so back to the question yeah i eat a lot of chocolate i eat my brad's macadamia masterpiece it's delicious i don't have any adverse effects uh but if you're sensitive to nuts, then you're not going to want to eat my product. And if you're sensitive to uh, the the uh, the agents in chocolate that might be irritant to your gut lining, uh, that's going to be something that might come up when you restrict these foods. And so then the add back period when you uh, feel like you want to calibrate toward maybe more carbohydrates in the diet. A lot of people reference sweet potato as a great source of nutrition and a carbohydrate that doesn't have the irritation. Same with the uh, fresh seasonal fruit. Uh, Paul Saladino went straight for the honey, the honey hive, uh, when he was experimenting with his continuous glucose monitor and adding carbs back into diet rather than eating completely strict carnivore, which by definition is not going to avail you with many carbohydrates. And then you try to pair that uh, with exercise and recovery. You could be looking at a problem or an overly stressful, unnecessarily stressful diet, as I talked about in the previous Q&A show. So the idea is the 30-day experiment and then adding back, yeah, some of your favorite stuff and seeing what happens, uh, but maybe emphasizing the, um, 
the, the least toxic, most nutritious foods. And of course, steering clear of all the uh, processed carbohydrates that don't offer any nutritional value and have all kinds of uh, health concerns. And that's basically um, the, the, the essence of the carnivore score chart. You can go to bradkearns.com and download the chart, print it out, stick it on your refrigerator, and uh, have some thoughtfulness the next time you're heading down the path to prepare a kale, ginger, beet, celery smoothie, thinking that it's the ultimate in uh, health, but might have some, some trade-off between your reactivity and whatever nutritional benefits you're getting or whatever antioxidant response you're stimulating. And boy, as you know, I'm an uh, enthusiast of cold exposure. And to think that jumping into the cold tub or jumping into Lake Tahoe and having a few minutes of cold exposure and the hormetic response occurring and that going hand in hand or being comparative to sitting down and eating a salad or drinking a green smoothie that's going to pop my stomach out. That's a very interesting way to look at it. You're getting the same benefit without the package insert, without the side effects. Okay. Good question. Thank you so much for uh, teeing that up, Casey. And then we go to Stanley Johnson uh, talking about sleep. And oh, this is going to have a, a multifaceted response here when you hear uh, his message. Hey, I'm a longtime listener of your podcast. I'm a mofo consumer. Right on, Stanley. Keep it up. Uh, it helps me stay on track. I love your honesty and your message. I'm trying to get my family on board with better sleeping routines. They won't listen to me, though. Wow, wow. What is your top recommendation for a book that covers the science and the habits that will lead to better sleep? So before I start throwing around book recommendations, because I can do that all day long to people that ain't never going to pick up that book and read it, we got to address the, um, the family thing, okay? So uh, I think many experts agree, and I would concur from my own personal experience that walking your talk is the number one objective and the number one way to positively influence uh, the lives of your loved ones, especially uh, kids, which is a whole separate category, but especially people that you care about, you care about their health, you're well-meaning, you want to give your suggestions, you're, you're deep into the, the scene, things are working for you, and you're so enthusiastic about sharing the message. And of course, I've been in this position a long time because this is my life's work. I live and breathe this stuff every day. And yes, we can get to talking all the time uh, with my friends, family, and loved ones about health topics that they may or may not be interested in. So you have to be really sensitive to the concept that uh, Mia Moore promotes that uh, people need to be ready to receive before you waste your breath and start to advocate for whatever it is. So when that person is ready to receive, when they approach you uh, with the question or looking for support or guidance, <laughs> looking for book recommendations, you will be ready and you will help them uh, as much as they need. Uh, but trying to uh, pick away and try to, uh, you know, carve out an audience, that is going to be a big challenge, um, especially with kids. And you have almost no chance of succeeding with your mouth versus uh, demonstrating and walking your talk in life. And let me tell you that sometimes there may be a time lag there. So I think about the battles that I fought with my son when he was in his formative years and I was uh, trying to argue against the consumption of nutrient deficient food. And of course, you know, going through um, high school basketball practice, they're going to come home with 
with a 7-Eleven cup in their hand and uh, they might hear a choice comment or two uh, over time from dad. Uh, but now here he is uh, deep into the culinary scene and extremely interested in healthy eating, which is cool to see, especially in his age group. Uh, so somehow there was an impact there, uh, but it wasn't a forced uh, issue. He had to come to it in his own time. Um, and so that also is the case for when I was coaching kids in the various sports and you know we would stop practice and lecture them uh, about how to play the game properly and be more unselfish as soccer players or basketball players. And you could see visibly, uh, we started uh, noticing the, the group of coaches that would hit these guys. And we'd noticing at about the 45 second mark, their eyes would glaze over and they'd start uh, you know, darting their eyes to other things instead of uh, focusing on the conversation. And so I came to realize that these openings that occur to uh, have a, um, uh, a personal growth experience and a teaching point last about 45 seconds. And then your, your job is to shut up, roll the ball out and let them play and let them experience it for themselves. So um, I became a less talkative, more hands-on coach. And that seemed to work better than being the, the lecturer style of coach or parent. And the same goes for uh, with, you know, significant other, close family, whether it's your parents, uh, your, your, your cousin, whoever it is that you're getting into the mix with. <sighs> However, on that kid's note, especially with uh, the topic of sleep that Stanley started asking about here, guess what? You're allowed to draw boundaries and try to help them formulate healthy long-term lifestyle habits through your own example and through your uh, influence. And so I love that suggestion where, uh, I don't know who first presented it, but it's been bantered around a lot now where there's a big mixing bowl, uh, a centerpiece uh, at the dinner table, and the, the those in the house who are under 18 are obligated to drop their mobile device into the bowl or at to the charging station in the kitchen and then retire to their bedroom and uh, continue with their evening. But the technology goes off at a certain time. Uh, Mark Cuban, you know, the Dallas Mavericks owner and the, the tech titan and the, the Shark Tank guy, he has an app or he has the capability from his uh his internet connection to shut off the Wi-Fi in the home at midnight or whatever it is on timer. So even if he goes to sleep before his uh, younger offspring, they are going to have trouble accessing the internet after midnight. I love that one. That is badass. Uh, Sarah Fragoso, longtime leader in the paleo scene, best-selling author of numerous books. Uh, she gave a lecture where uh, someone asked her in the audience, uh, hey, so Sarah, uh, do your kids eat paleo too? And she goes, uh, yes. Yeah, because I make the meals and it's my house. And I'm like, wow, that is badass. So I, I uh, accosted her backstage. I said, come on now, give me the straight scoop. Are you kidding? Your kids are fully on board. She goes, oh yeah. She goes, it's my money, my house, my meals. And that's the way it goes. Uh, so I walked away from that greatly inspired uh, to up my game a little bit and not be uh, so wimpy about things that I had some control over and some influence over where it was within my parental boundaries to say, hey, look, no, we're not stopping off. It's 7-Eleven just because you're begging for a Slurpee after your basketball practice. Uh, but, you know, that's a tightrope to walk. You don't want to be too heavy handed or you're going to have um, people that are going to turn off to your message. So in conclusion of the question and the show here, how about some suggestions? Well, my favorite book on sleep is called Light Out. 
Sleep, Sugar, and Survival. And it's a really entertaining, uh, beautifully written, and unusual book. It's uh, quite a few years old now, and I think you're going to love it. And it talks about the ancestral underpinnings of our need to honor our circadian rhythm and how important it is, all these different facets of uh, health and hormonal function, uh, Bent Form B and T.S. Wiley were the authors, and I refer to that book all the time and the lessons in there. Um, one interesting anecdote or tidbit just to share with you is how they everyone says, oh, you need eight hours of sleep. Eight hours of sleep is the optimal. Okay, okay. The authors argue convincingly that our sleep needs actually vary according to the time of year and the amount of light in our environment. Okay, so if you're on the equator, your time of year, your day's not changing much from uh, winter to summer. You know, in the Caribbean, it, it gets uh, sunny at 6 a.m. and it gets dark at 6 p.m. virtually year-round. Uh, if you're in the Scandinavia or Canada uh, and those upper northern areas, you're going to need much more sleep in the winter than you do in the summer. And so the authors throw out a figure of most people that are living in the northern hemisphere in the high population areas uh, where the days change by, let's say, um, you know, five, six, or seven hours over the course of the year here in uh, continental United States, you know, the winter, uh, the winter uh, sunlight is maybe 10 hours a day, right? Maybe 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. And in the summer, we're talking about uh, 16 hours a day. So that's a six-hour split there. Um, the winter, they suggest that most people will do well getting nine and a half hours of sleep a night. And in the summer months, we can get by on much less, somewhere around eight, maybe even less for certain people. So that's interesting. Great book, Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival. Uh, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, has been uh, widely publicized and uh, become a best seller. He's a great uh, entertainer on the uh, the podcast circuit, especially his appearance on the Joe Rogan show where he gets deep into his work. Um, actually, some people have criticized him and uh, maybe taking a few liberties with um, some of the uh, research conclusions. Uh, but I appreciate his really strong message. And if it's someone's going to nitpick him, I'm not too worried because he's really urging people to prioritize sleep, especially uh, citing uh, the amazing declines in productivity that happen when we get sleep deprived, even mildly sleep deprived. And here's one great tidbit from uh, some of his message is that when we're even mildly sleep deprived, uh, our cognitive performance slows down and our ability to get shit done slows down to the tune of a, a 20 or 40% decline. Uh, and it takes that much longer to do everything. So imagine your eight hour workday and you're 20% slower because you're not sleeping well enough. Now it's a 10 hour hour workday. And then the kicker, the punchline is because you're sleep deprived, your perception of your decline in productivity is not there because <laughs> you're not sharp. So you don't even realize you're slower. You just realize you put in a 10 hour day and you still have more stuff to do and you're not going to get enough sleep because you're so busy. So he says, put sleep at the very top shelf, the highest possible priority, and then you'll be sharp. Then you'll notice things like, gee, my productivity is declining here at 8.15 PM. I better leave the office, go get a good meal, get some rest and tackle things tomorrow. But if you don't have that sensitivity because you're zombie land, yeah, that's going to be a bad downward spiral. And then finally, as I mentioned in more detail in the previous Q&A show, uh, Dr. Sarah Mednick's book, uh, Take a Nap, Change Your Life, is also on my list of go-to books. So there's three great go-to books, Lights Out, Why We Sleep, and Take a Nap. 
Thank you, everybody. Maybe you'll take a nap. Depends on when you're listening to this. Thanks for writing in. Podcast at bradventures.com. We love to hear from you. And we also love if you can take a few moments to leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It's much easier now. You can do it right from your mobile device, unlike in the old days. So yeah, if you can you know, choose between five and five stars and then write a few comments, it really helps us uh, rise up the rankings and get more people paying attention to the show. We're actually right there in the cutoff point where um, we were will be listed as favorites in our category on Apple Podcasts in the health and fitness uh, fitness subcategory. And so when it pops up there, we experience a rise in listenership and it's all in your hands. I so much appreciate doing this. I appreciate you listening. And if you can do that little help to spread the word, that's really super huge because then we, we pop up higher. And oh my gosh, I love my podcast app. It's called Overcast. And while you're listening to the podcast, you can push one button and do your own sound clip if you like something that was said by myself or a guest during an interview, you you push the button, you prepare the sound clip, you can change the duration of the sound clip. I think maximum is two minutes or a minute and a half. And then with another push of the button, text the sound clip to your homies and tell them, hey, listen up. Here's what I was talking about. You might like this. The guy's talking about sleep, <laughs> whatever. And then they can uh, punch in and listen to the show. So yeah, I appreciate it very much. Thanks again. And we look forward to hearing from you.